Amen. And we're in Romans chapter 12 today, and last week, just a little recap, in Romans 11, we discussed a message called Remnant for Restoration, that God just needs some group of people to say, Lord, whatever you want to do, we're willing to go there. We're willing to do it. We're willing to follow your lead. We talked about the idea of God using a remnant, a small group of people, to accomplish a greater purpose in agreement with his purpose, for his glory, to rescue the lost, to, for them to see him through us, giving him all the credit. We talked about in the chapter the idea of being grafted into a beautiful tree, that there is a tree of the chosen people of Israel, and us Gentiles, if you will, what's a Gentile? Anyone who's not a Jew were grafted in, adopted in as sons and daughters to this tree, and some branches were cut off and thrown to the side, not necessarily because they'll be forever discarded, but because God said, I want to get you grafted in to make this tree beautiful again so that the branches that have been cut off, even though they might not be able to hear me or see me, they're going to see that beautiful tree. They're going to see that beautiful church. They're going to see a beautiful people, and it's going to cause them to say, why are you so beautiful? What is changing in you? And by that way, they will start to see him and hear him again. It's really easy to talk to people and say, you don't know God, but the, best, the only way they're going to come to know him again is by seeing him in you. And quite frankly, most of us don't look too much like him. And our journey as a people of God is to start walking more into the purpose of simply showing who he is through our, through our life, through our choices, through who we are. Becoming more like him, less of us, more of him. Amen. So I want to read the last verse of Romans 11 going into Romans 12. It says in Romans 11, 36, For everything comes from him, exists by his power, and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. And then in verse 1 of chapter 12, it starts off and it says, And so, everyone shouts so. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Amen. <laughs> Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable, this is truly the way to worship him. In verse 36, it says, Every, everything, everything. Everything comes from him, exists by him, and is intended for him. So, I plead. Paul says, with the truth that everything comes from him, exists in him, or by him, and intended for him, he says, I plead. Paul starts this whole chapter off begging us, pleading with us to simply make a decision, make a choice. In other words, Paul is having a conversation opening this whole thing up about our free will. He says, let me open your eyes to the fact that all of this is here because of him, so I plead, make a choice that will define all other choices. 
Make a choice where everything about you, everything you stand for, everything you walk into flows from a choice you have made. And the choice you're making is made possible. Keep that scripture up there if y'all don't mind, verse one. And the choice you're making is made possible because all he has done for you. I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. The only way we are able to give him or offer him anything is because of what he did for us. He made us right and able to represent him in all we do. Therefore, bring glory to what he did and how you offer yourself. But the only reason you can offer yourself is because he made you worthy as something to offer. Because we can get into the, well, let me give God this and let me give God that. But we have to remember before we get into what he asks, before he gets into asking about sacrifice, remember the only way you can present yourself as a sacrifice is because he made an imperfect, unclean, ugly thing like you beautiful and renewed and worthy to say this is a, an acceptable offering. The only way you can even come before him as an offering is because he made it possible. And I think we forget that sometimes. Well, Lord, here's my service. Here's what I want to do. Well, let's give him praise first that the only reason he even listens to a bunch of heathens like us worship in the house is because he made you right to offer up an acceptable form of praise. Okay? Okay? He says, therefore, bring glory. Bring glory to Jesus for what he did for you, what he made you, perfect, right standing it with God. Bring glory to the Father, thanking him for sending his son for us, simply worshiping the Father and his greatness. Bring glory to the Holy Spirit, help, correction, and so much more we're getting into tonight. And when you bring glory to him, you're simply doing this. Present your bodies. I want everything about you that I've made right and pleasing in my sight to present your bodies to me. Present your bodies. Bring your whole self to me as an acceptable offering. Your entire being. Your body contains all of you. It has your flesh, it contains your soul, and it contains your spirit. God says, I want all of that. Not just your spirit getting saved. That's pretty much the gospel that people preach in church. Get saved, get your eternity squared away, and live like hell until you die. And he said, I don't, I don't want a third of you. I don't just want your spirit and your soul. I don't just want your, your emotions and your mind. I, no, I want the whole deal. I want your spirit. I want your soul. I want your body. I want you to honor me in what you eat. I want you, me to, I want you, to, I want you to honor me in how you present yourself. I want, to honor, I want you to honor me in your thought life. I want you to honor me by saying, no more dead man. Let me believe in who he is so I can come to life. He says, present all of you. 
He says, I want all of you in response to my mercy and grace that you did not deserve. Not just your work, not just your thoughts, not just the way you look, all of it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says this. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Let me just pause right. You do not belong to you. So stop making decisions based off of you. Some of y'all not liking me right now, but that's okay. You don't belong to you. God bought you with a very high price. So because he bought you, you're no longer your own. And when he bought you, he made you worthy to carry the very spirit of God. You must honor God with your body, which we just define is all. All. And if we can get real honest, there's parts of us that we honor him with. And there's parts of us that we don't give him a thought. I know I've been joking around about it lately, but I don't give glory to God in a lot of my food choices. And, and it's kind of comical, but it's real. Like when I ordered that $20 meal from DoorDash Taco Bell last night all by myself, that wasn't exactly, I'm just being real, that wasn't exactly good. I thought it was a good idea until about, you know, the whole thing was gone. And then I started praising and asking God for healing, right? <laughs> and we're laughing, but it, it really is a honor. He says, give me all of you. You were bought, so bring all of it. How do we bring it? Paul says, I'll bring, present your whole self as a living sacrifice. You see, back in these days, whether you were a Christian, whether you were a Jew, whether you were a pagan, no matter what you were, everyone knew what a sacrifice meant. A sacrifice was brought to an altar. Not just in any way, but it was brought to the altar alive. And then sacrificed for the glory of God. Right? The reason Jesus is called the perfect lamb that was slain is because they would bring him offerings of lambs. So Jesus says, let's get away with this whole, you've got to bring me all this stuff on this hour and this day and this month. No, let me be the final lamb to be the perfect offering for all time. They all knew this. They all got what a sacrifice was. To pay tribute and honor to God as worship, Paul says, bring your whole self to the holy altar of God and let yourself be a living sacrifice on his altar. What is his altar? Well, your body has been made worthy. And actually talks about your truth. Not according to you, because a lot of you is still twisted, even though he sees you as perfect, and the only way to get twisted out or straightened out is you're redeemed by Christ, you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and he says, all this twisted stuff 
You can listen to it, or you can listen to my word as truth. And a lot of us say, well, we believe in him as true, but the way your life is and the way you respond to things don't look nothing like the word. It looks like the defect that Jesus took care of. I'm going somewhere with this. At some point, you've got to make point. The thing is about pride. Whether you, whether you put that with homosexuality or your race or whatever it is, everything's about be proud of where you come from. God speaks against being proud. So just because it might be a good idea doesn't mean it's God's. Just because it appeals to your flesh or your heart, which is all messed up, don't make, don't make it good. He says, don't copy behaviors and customs. And here we are in 2021, the church, because we're so unoriginal, we copy, we copy behaviors, put it in the church, and call it redemption. I got a message today that said, are y'all actually having service on 4th of July? So many churches are canceling. I'm thinking, what the heck is wrong with you unbelieving churches? I didn't say that, but I probably should have. Maybe I did. Maybe I did. I did. But what we'll do is we'll take something that appeals to the flesh and say, well, let's make it in the church because we don't want to transform people. We just want to have great numbers to make ourselves feel better about what we're doing. Right? For years, Relentless did that, right? We did the fall festival because we wanted to redeem Halloween. You know how you redeem Halloween? Don't give attention to it. You redeem it by getting it out. And I know that we've all been in that. We've all, I'm not trying to speak again. Maybe I am, but we've got, we've, it's not copy the behavior to make it good. It's start thinking differently about it. It's start to change how you view it, how you perceive it. At some point, a choice has to be made. What am I honoring? How do I make a choice? And the thought process should be, is God getting all the glory in what I'm walking in, what I'm giving my eyes to, what am I giving my ears to? Is God getting glory in it? If he's not, why is this altar and living sacrifice getting in unworthy, defiled things? Am I looking like him or do I look like the cause? Let me say that again. <clears throat> am I looking like him or am I looking like the cause? Don't tell me you're celebrating St. Patrick on St. Patrick's today when you don't look like Jesus. You look like an idiot dressed up in green drinking more than holy wine. And God will have mercy on you because it's just one day. Don't give me that bull crap. Did the pastor just say, yep. Don't copy behaviors and customs. Well, Kyle, everything is something of culture. Well, that's right. That's why we get our got to get our minds in line with a kingdom culture that supersedes a worldly culture. 
How? Let God transform you into a new person by changing your thought patterns. The battle between the world and God is in your mind. You want to be different? You want to be God-like? Change the way you think. It's not by your ideals you make a decision. It's not by your family heritage. It's not by what you've always done because this is how you grew up. No, I am leaving behind things of old and walking into what I claim is the new me. And my new me is not governed by how I grew up. It's not governed by where I came from. It's not governed by the culture I was with. It's governed by I am a part of a new culture and I want the world to see the new culture not honoring the old dead one so I make a choice in everything I'm doing what can I do that the world would see his culture that they that they cannot see because we love to to harp on presidents who don't honor God and you don't realize they don't see Oh, yeah, hold on, yeah. Let me step on, on your hypocritical toes for a minute. He can't see God if we don't show him love. But you're too proud to love a defiled thing. Thank God Jesus did. You want to change people? They will know him by our love. And the way you love is take action to something and say, how can I make myself a perfect sacrifice in everything I represent? Jesus honored the people that were killing him and you don't want to honor someone that's making your taxes higher? So y'all don't like that. You're thinking, how dare you say that about me? Because it's not about proving them right or wrong. It's showing the world the true way because theirs is not working. You don't have to agree with someone to honor them. You want to know how? I do it all the time as a pastor with you people. <laughs> you... Lord, forgive me. You don't have to agree to honor. You know the way you, you start to honor things that you don't agree with? It starts by changing the way you think. Because many choose to live life based off feelings. How do I feel today? How do I feel about my job? How do I feel about my family? How do I feel about my preacher? Don't live by your feeling. Let your mind be renewed so that your thought life is in line with God so that all decisions flow and are submitted to that mindset, not how you feel. So that how you feel will start to be changed based off of where you're following. You can live life based on doing. Don't tell me how to believe and say, tell me what to do. Because we all, people, I, all right, I got it. I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I get it. Believe me. T 
Tell me what I need to do. Give me the steps. That's exactly how you get into religion. You have a relationship with the process and not the one who calls you to the process. You don't live by doing. You let your mind be renewed so that your doing flows from being in line with what God wants you to do. Not do it so that you get in line. It's not let me get my life right so that I can follow him. He made you right so that you could start renewing your mind to get in line with your true self that you do not know. Let God transform you. The Greek word for transformation in this passage is metamorpho. I know none of you can guess what the word is. It's metamorphosis. You know what's interesting? It's the same word used in Mark 9 for transfiguration. The transfiguration of who? Jesus. The same transfiguration he went through, you have access to be transfigured metamorphosis as well. What are you metamorphosing into? That's, that was cool, right? What are you transfiguring into? The true you that he sees. The one that he made perfect. The, what is redemption? Restoring back to its original state. He restored you back to the thing that he knew before you were in your mother's womb. He says, I've restored you. And if you'll follow me by changing the way you think, you'll begin a metamorphosis into the you that you ain't walking into yet. If you change the way you think, you'll start to make decisions differently, not by trying, but by natural flow from the process of metamorpho. That's why it says you can see the evidence of salvation by their works. Not because they're trying to prove salvation, but because for some reason they're doing things differently from a posture of being redeemed. And the way we do things differently naturally is not by doing, but we started with changing the thought pattern, so we start to see things different. It's not let me serve on the worship team because I can play music and because I, because I want to serve... It, why do you want to serve on the worship team? Because you're transforming into this person that says, let me serve the Lord in whatever I have. You happen to have a talent of music. So it, it's not I want to get on the band. It's I want to give glory to God, right? It, it, it's like people who have a heart for homeless people or people who have a heart for recovering addicts, people who have a heart for, for, for um, groups in, in Africa or, or Asia where, where missionaries are being sent to. It's not they're trying to earn God. It's they're being transformed because their thought pattern is changing. You want to know how you never get tired of serving God? Let it be a flow from how you see differently. When you truly start to see things different, you'll never get tired of doing things for them because it's not about the doing. You're starting to see things different. 
I never get tired of teaching. It's probably why I teach so long. And truthfully, I want to teach longer most of the time. I, it does not tire me out. Why? Because I don't see it as doing my job coming to church. I don't see it as fulfilling your need for a 30-minute message. I see it as I have an opportunity to allow God to open eyes to new ways of thinking by his word. And when I start to think of it like that, it's an opportunity, not a time consumption. When I start to think differently and understand approaching the courts of heaven, four hours of prayer doesn't seem tiring to me anymore. Because I say I want Savannah to change, but how do I actually want to change it? I'm starting to understand that I'm accessing the courts of heaven when I pray. And if I truly want Savannah to change, if I'm thinking about it differently, I'll never get tired of prayer. Because things are flowing in my prayer life, because I'm coming into agreement with what he wants to do. You see, it's, it's changing the way you think. Others will see the good and acceptable perfect will of God through the metamorphosis happening in you. How will others see his will? Because you're starting to see his will. But you've got to make a choice. Now, you're making a choice to give yourselves to God, let him change the way you think, where do we start? Where do we start in changing the way we think about things? Right? Because, again, this is, like, this is like practical stuff. I hope it's pulling something out of you. If I've got to change the way I think, offering myself as a living sacrifice, where do I start? Where do I start in this process of transformation? Look at verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority that God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. There's a reason he's preaching to Christians right here. Don't think you're better than you really is. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Mm. Mm. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Paul says, let me tell it straight. Keep that up there. Because of the privilege and authority God's given me. Not by my own accord. Not because I'm bothered by what you're doing but because God has given me the privilege to speak into it and the authority to call it out. If God didn't tell me to do it, I wouldn't be talking to you. Some people give thoughts about things that have no authority to be speaking. Even if your opinion's right. Let me say that again. Some people are giving opinions... No one in this room. And thoughts about things which may be right and of God. But that does not mean he's given you the authority to release the thought. Because you may not be mature enough to release it and you botch up the whole thing. 
And for some reason, the church, when God tells us something, the miss is everyone starts talking about it. Just because you got truth don't mean it's time to open your mouth. It's when God gives you the authority to speak on his behalf. It isn't about if you saw it. It's did he give you the authority to say it. And trust God, if he gave you the ability to see it, there is a reason. But don't put the reason, the reasonings of him in your carnal mind that is still being renewed. Because we think God gave it, I got to share it. Don't put God in your timing. Paul says, let me tell it straight on behalf of God. He says, I know people. And when you get a gift or a blessing or you're really good at something, people get prideful. He says, so before I tell you any more benefits about making a choice to be available for God's purposes, living a life submitted to him, let's get this straight first. Don't think more highly of yourselves or better than you really are. Because it's really easy, easy to get prideful about a gift that God's given you. It's really easy to get prideful when, when God gives you something by his grace and it's never used for his glory because you've made it all about what you can do. First Peter 5, 6 says it like this. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. The right time will not make sense to you all the time. That's why you have to let God transform your mind so that you aren't trying to govern God on your timing. Let me say that one again. Let God renew your mind so that you aren't trying to govern God on your timing. Because your timing says, if I prayed it, why ain't I seeing it? God's timing is you prayed it and I'm going to release it into your children. But you aren't obsessed with what I want to release. You aren't obsessed with how is it beneficial to you. But be transformed by the way you think. Maybe what you're laying the ground for is for something other than you. Don't get tied up in what are we not doing by your definition of doing when our call may be laying, to, laying a foundation that the rest of the church has completely failed at laying. We're walking into an apostolic model that no one has seen. Before we can do anything with it, we got to lay it down. And the way we're laying it down is we've all got to change the way we think. And don't think that this entire body is going to change the way we think in three or four sermons. Or even a year. 
I've said it before and I'll say it again. The first four years of Relentless, I was doing everything wrong. The approach, the application, I was just trying to do it. How did that other church do it? How did that other pastor do it? Let, let's figure out how they, they're successful at it. And God says, no, I called you to start another one, not because I needed another one of the same. I'm asking you to walk into a new wineskin. And it's going to cause some stretching of your mind. Because most of you still, if I say pastor, you think the man with the microphone. So don't, don't think you're ready to go in apostolic all the way if you still view pastor like that. And God has given me the authority of walking with him and when we're ready to do something with what we're being taught. Is this, we've got to change the way we think first. And he says, Half of y'all can't handle where we're going because you'll get prideful about your healing gift or your prophetic gift. Just because you see things that no one else can don't make you better or more worthy. Just because you speak in tongues does not make you more holy than someone that don't. That's why people call it a secondary issue, but I, it is not secondary for me when someone says you don't have Holy Spirit if you didn't speak in tongues. That's called you're exalting yourself in pride because of what you do. <laughs> and I will throw down with someone who wants to argue with me about that. <laughs> by the word, by the word. Stay humble. It says stay humble and be honest in the evaluation of yourself. Can you keep that scripture up there please, Romans 12, 3? Stay humble and be honest in the evaluation of yourself because when you see yourself for how you really are, it's really hard to become prideful. If I take an honest evaluation about what I struggle with, it's really hard for me to be prideful. If I take an honest evaluation of my weak places, it's really hard for me to become proud of my strong ones. He says, you, you want to know how you start transforming your mind? He says, make sure that you don't get caught up in pride. And the way you do it is you make sure you take a good evaluation of yourself before you start evaluating others. How do you measure yourself? He says, you do it by the faith God has given. In other words, you have... Because he graced you to have. Don't think if this is the issue with the rich. Right? You think because of what you've gained, you're better than those who didn't gain it. Because you think it's about what you earn and not what God graced you with a gift that had the ability to go after it. You're not giving glory to God. And then the same thing, because the poor can get prideful. Well, we ain't caught up in, and get caught up in money, and we ain't prideful. You're priding yourself in the fact that you're not being proud. <laughs> Measure yourself by the mindset, it's all because of him. Posturing yourself as humble. 
See, humility is a choice. It's not a fruit. Well, I'll get humble the closer I get with God. No, no, no. Humility is not a fruit of the Spirit. You've got to make a choice. I will be humble. Why make that choice? To make you prepared to embrace the part you play. Well, what part do I play? Verse 4. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. And we all belong to each other. We all belong to each other. Even the ones you don't like, you belong to them. The body of Christ, one body, many parts, all parts have their own special function, but don't get prideful about your function. You have to make a choice to stay humble to prevent being prideful about your function. And the issue is, <coughs> when we get proud about our part, I'm a prophet, I'm an evangelist, I serve this way, I'm a worship leader, I'm a preacher. When you get prideful about your part, you forget about the whole point of your individual function is for the whole body to function better as one. So, whether you preach or you sweep a floor, no function is better than the other because it's all for one purpose, the body functioning. That's why I take issues with pastors who think they're so good that they got to have an entourage of bodyguards so no one can talk to them. You ain't that good. When we get a mindset of I don't need anyone, have you anywhere been? I don't need anyone. I can do me just fine by myself. When you get that mindset, that's proof that part of your mind is not being transformed. Not that other parts haven't, but what does the scripture say? Take an honest eval so that you don't become prideful. Well, in the evaluation, the point of an evaluation is to make a change. So if you start getting thoughts, I don't need anyone to do me, you've missed the whole point of you. The point of you is for the body. And the point of the body is for you. We belong to one another. What does verse 5 say? We belong. You can't function fully alone. We all function belonging to one purpose. Exalt God. But you've got to make a choice to live in such a way where it's not always the mindset of what's best for me. The way you've got to start thinking is what's best for those I belong to. What's best for the body? That's why when I talk to married couples, I, I don't say it's 50-50, it's 
Because the way you think can't be about you. It's got to be about... See, y'all couldn't even say it. Them. <laughs> and if they think all about you, then the whole of you is functioning correctly. You got to make a choice. And if we will all get in line with that thinking, what is best for the body? Most of us would shut up. Because think about what we do. I don't like that. That's not my taste. That makes me uncomfortable. But if it's better for the body, I don't care what you like and what you don't like. But if the body belongs to each other, the body will function in some sort of way to care about what's going on with you, to walk fully together in a unified posture. But we're scared to trust in the fruit of that body, so we build up walls of let me operate as an individual. So many people in this house have been overlooked, have been the ones in the church that the church threw away, the ones that want to do something, but because you ain't been to, you know, theology school, you ain't doing nothing. You know what I realized today? The people in this house are the exact kind of people that Jesus called out first. The rejected, the, the, the weird ones, the dumb ones, the... The ugly ones, the sinful ones. Y'all are just like the 12 disciples. But do you... <laughs> the, the, I, got, I got people looking at me now with, with bad eyes. Even the, smart, even the smart ones, they were in there too. Because they get all up in their own mind thinking they can't be teachable. We've got a mixture of all, I won't call any of y'all out we, we, yet, but we got, we've got all that. And do you see how beautiful it is? We're all so messed up individually that we can't function without each other. That's why he said, let me eat with the sinners, because they get it. They messed up. I love the fact that I can take an honest evaluation and say I'm too messed up to do this by myself. I want the accountability. I want the family. I want the honesty. But when people get honest, we separate. <sighs> Look at verse 6. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. There's things that you do that I can't. There's things that I can do that you can't. And I think one of the biggest problems in the body of Christ is when we try to get someone to walk into a gift that they simply not gifted with. 
Yes, you will let down someone that can't sing when you tell them they can't be on the worship team. Because they can't. I don't care how passionate you are. You can't carry a tune. You ain't singing on a microphone. But here's where our mindset's got to be. Why did I say no? Because I want you to walk in your function, not the one you want to walk in. And if you think that's your function, practice. <laughs> but, but it's like that with everything. Just because you think you can preach, don't mean you can. Just because you know the stuff don't mean you have the gift of communication. And, and that doesn't mean you're not as good as me. It's we've got to figure out what your function is. And there are people who are called to preach. And how dare I think that I'm so good that you're not worthy to share the pulpit. Because my responsibility is not to make you depend on my gift. It's to pull the gift out of you that no one else has tried to believe in. We belong to each other. Thought patterns. I want to get obsessed with your function. And you should get obsessed with my function. And you should get obsessed with his. And you should get obsessed with his. And, and you need to get obsessed with hers. And it's let, Let's belong to each other for real. In his grace, God's given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God's given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God's given you. If you're a gift of serving, serve. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is encourage others, be encouraging. Isn't this deep? Yeah. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. God has, different, has given different gifts for doing certain things. And one gift doesn't make you spiritually more mature than another. How did he give them? In his grace, not off their merit. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all of these gifts. He alone decides what each gift each person should have. You don't earn this stuff. It's graced for a purpose so that you walk in for the glory of God as one unified body, not the glory of how good you do something. You make a choice to be humble in what you have. We don't need this, I can't help it, it's just me stuff. And we do that all the time. Well, this is just who I am. No, it, it might be who you are now. But if you'll humble yourself to change the way you think, you'll be metamorphosis. You'll be transfigured into the you that he's already calling you to walk into. And the true you is not all about, I can't help do this thing wrong, that's just me. No, no, no. The you that we see 
is a choice of where you submit your mind to. A proud person is not submitted to the transforming of themselves by their minds aligning with his ways. They are, they, a proud person is submitted to, I think how I think. It's just who I am. You've got to choose. I don't want to just be who I think. I want to be what Christ calls me to be. I want to be what he sees me as. So I'm going to start changing the way I think about things, the way I humble myself. I don't want to be proud in anything so that I can rightfully evaluate where I am for the reason of him taking me into what I'm supposed to be. He says, if I give you a gift, choose to use it well. And there are so many gifted people even in this room and you're not doing anything with it. And the number one reason usually is because you're scared you're going to mess up. L l let me comfort you. You're going to mess up. <laughs> but you can't learn to refine what you don't figure out that you don't know how to do. And one body functioning together makes a soft landing for a mess up. And I'm not talking about sinful lifestyle right now. I'm talking about applying your gift and you're getting the gift wrong. How dare we reject someone because they got a gift wrong when they're trying to walk in their gift? Amen. You belong to me. I belong to you. I need to get all about how is your gift working to its full advantage. Not, you know, I saw that you said something in church and it was wrong, so you're never going to be able to speak again. That's exactly what Jesus came to kill that mindset. Think about the woman at the well. She never felt worthy. She was, she was five husbands, living with one that wasn't her husband. And Jesus says, what you're called to do is see who I am right now in this moment and share me with the entire town. Don't tell me you can't because your mindset is set on what you're unworthy to do when I'm telling you that you are worthy to do it. Just because you've messed up this many times does not take your purpose away. Amen. Your purpose to do it, God says, I've called you to do it. Now humble yourself and change the way you think so that you can start doing it. And when we get our mindset into this, what if I'm wrong, you're actually robbing God of an opportunity to get glory because of your pride. Well, how is that prideful? You care more about how you look than his glory poured out. You've got to make a choice. If God gave this to me, I'm going to be faithful. It's not getting there. Well, I'll get there one day. You can't get there one day unless you start walking today. You make a choice to let it start flowing out. And when we see how much you stink at your gift, we'll let you know what you can do to stop stinking. But, but do you trust the family of God enough? You see, that's the kind of culture we have to build. How will we do great things for the kingdom? 
it's a safe place to do great things for the kingdom. And he says, now you got to make another choice. Verse 9. This is all right? I'm going to keep going until I finish it. Don't just pretend to love others. Don't just pretend to love people. Really love them. Hate what's wrong, hold tightly to what's good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Don't pretend to love others, love them. Hate what's wrong, hold right to what's good, be genuine, genuine the way you love people, delight in honoring each other. It's all a choice from submitting to a transformation. Don't fake it. If you don't love people, don't take on the lie that it's not in your makeup. If you don't love people, don't accept the lie that, well, maybe I'm just not called to love people. Yes, you are, but you have not. That is an honest evaluation of a part of you that has not been metamorpho, transformed. It is in your original makeup that he's trying to metamorphosis you back into. It starts with a choice. Biggest issue in the church is we pretend because we haven't made a choice. And one of the, one of the biggest indicators of no love is you do good on one part of this command and not the other. You hate what's wrong, but there's no evidence of loving what you're supposed to be holding on to. All people hear about you is what you hate. And they don't know what you love. I got convicted reading this passage. Can I take an honest evaluation? I always talk about, well, the church is this, and the church don't do this, and the church don't do that. Well, what's good about the church, Kyle? We're gathering together. We're lifting up the name of Jesus. We love each other. We're pursuing him. There's, even the churches that get it wrong, they're still coming together for him. That's a good thing. The loudest thing about who you are should not be what you hate. You don't back up on what you hate, but let them know what you are embracing that is good. What's good? Even a person who is lost, there is something good about their makeup and they don't know it. I hate what they do because there's something about them that we should be seeing. There's something great in them. There's something wonderful about them. I want to see that come out. That's why you should honor people who don't stand for God all the time because your heart and your mind is, I want to see the true them get out of the chains that is the them that I don't like. So, just being real, maybe this is too much, why am I talking about honoring a precedent that I don't agree with necessarily, and this is not a political thing, maybe it is, get outside yourself if you're political, shut up, I'm talking. 
why am I talking about a president that I should honor? Because it gains me the ground to speak into someone that sees them as worthy. And if I can gain ground, I just brought them to the altar of God. So that the spirit can start talking and opening up their eyes. Jesus could have broke free of being killed at any moment, but he honored the process of what they were doing wrong, killing the Messiah. It was wrong, but it had to be done. Well, no, it wasn't wrong. He was supposed to be sacrificed. But they killed him. Thou shalt not His purpose was to be a sacrifice for us. But they weren't doing a good thing. Well, why didn't Jesus just break free? He was honoring the process. And in honoring the process, they saw a glory revealed that they couldn't deny. Because the moment he took his last breath by their process, the earth shook, the, the, the curtain tore from top to bottom. And, in, and I think Matthew's account, dead people popped out the grave on the day he was crucified. And, it, and then it says they wandered around for three days and left the graveyard when he rose. Can you imagine being a citizen next to the graveyard during those three days? It's something that Savannah ghost tours couldn't touch. You got to make a choice to cling to something good. See, when you're transformed, you actually take delight in honor. Honor is no longer a chore. It's a natural flow. God's basically saying, this is not coming out of you. It's revealing what has not changed in you. If you got an issue with honoring people, that's your self-eval. If you think it's all about you and you're too good and it, this, this is just about me, take a self-eval. This is about the body. Romans 12, 11. Never be lazy. Work hard. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. True transformation. You don't get lazy when it comes to serving in what you're called to serve in. And if you immediately feel like serving him is a chore, it's an evidence to make a choice to get yourself in check before him as a sacrifice for his cause. If you're walking in what you're called to do and you get tired of it, your mind has not truly changed. Because you consider it an honor to carry his name because he made you worthy to carry his name. Amen. And he gave you a function to do for the betterment of the body. So how dare you get exhausted with doing something that you were never worthy to do that he made you worthy to do for the glory of him? Well, I'm tired of serving. Well, you need to change the way you think about serving. I'm tired of people. Change the way you think about people. I'm tired of America. Change the way you think about America or get the heck out. Oh, y'all didn't like that? Because if you change the way you think about the thing that's not working, you'll, God will reveal to you how to aid in its restoration. 
You don't turn your back on a dying thing when you're called to be the remnant for restoration. America's not doing everything of God. Savannah sure as heck ain't. I'm going to be honest with you. Some days I just don't want to drive downtown. I used to love going downtown. Just be honest with you. And I'm not talking about, talking about the go drink or anything. I mean, like, I may have done that once, but a long time ago. But I used to love just riding around downtown and seeing the nightlife. But that's not good for, for you know, for your eyes and the, the flesh. I used, to, I used to love sometimes going downtown just walking around the squares because it's beautiful. I think Savannah is one of the most beautiful cities ever. But lately, a part of me, when, when I do drive through there, I'm, I'm not seeing all the beautiful stuff anymore. I'm seeing we've got so much work to do. But then when I was reading this, the Lord showed me, well, why are you exhausted by that when I've graced you to change it even though you didn't deserve to be the one bringing the change? So I've got to change the way I think about it. Let me get my mind focused off of what's bad and get my mind focused on what's good even if they don't know how good they are. I no longer see a homosexual I see a good, God-chosen man or woman with great potential that is under the chains of homosexuality. I don't see an alcoholic. I see what is in them is so good. And I hate they're locked up. You see, we love to focus on the, the sin. Transform your mind. Focus on what the enemy is trying to suppress. Is this, is this change the way you think? Hmm. Where am I at? 12. Rejoice in our confident hope. What hope? Get your mind in line with the reward of unity with the Father. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. Well, I've prayed enough. You know what the scripture says? Keep on. When God's people are in need, be ready. Help them. Don't complain about them. Don't point out their stuff. Go to them. Help them. Do something. Love's in action. Not a banner to put up in church just to convince people you love them. You want to love them? Go do it. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Hebrews 12, 2 says this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. How do I change the way I think? Get your eyes focused on the right thing. He is a champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Jesus was not moved by results. He was moved by his assignment. With the hope of the reward, it's not of earthly things, but the joy of I'm about to be with my Father. You see, when your eyes are focused 
when your mind is focused, you won't get moved by trouble. Patience will be your fruit. A fruit of the... Well, I don't have patience as a fruit. Get your mind focused on something else. Because you want to see how is this going to benefit me. You want to see, well, I, I've been praying. I don't see nothing. Get your eyes off of wanting to see the results. What are my eyes on now? When I pray, I'm coming into agreement with heaven. Isn't that enough? Or do you want the results? Well, I've been praying for 20 years and I ain't seeing my, my kids saved. I've been praying for this and I ain't seeing this. I've been praying for that. Get your mind off of the results because you're praying in grievance. You were graced to come into agreement as the authority on earth with the Father in heaven. What greater joy is there in that? Is this making sense? Hmm. And when you start to get your mind in line with that, when there's a need, you'll meet the need and be eager to be hospitable. You know what hospitable, trans hospitable translated from Greek? It means love for strangers. We love to serve causes that we're aware of and people we know. But when a stranger asks for your service, you come up with every reason in the book why they don't deserve it. That's not, hospitality is doing things for people you don't know. Strangers in the intimacy of knowing. For instance, there are people even in this room right now, I know you, but I don't know you. But I don't have to have a relationship with you to qualify you as someone I serve. That's why we've entered into a day in church life when the first thing people do when they walk into a church, within five minutes they, they know, am I welcome here or not? Because it's really easy to get into the mindset of that's not one of us. And we don't do it intentionally. But if we started taking more self-evaluations, we'd start to change the way we think about the people who walk in the doors. Not someone new, oh my gosh, are they carrying this spirit? What's wrong with them? Is there something going on with them? You look at them, a son or daughter could possibly be adopted back into the body right now. I hate to admit that they were right, but Joe and Lynn told me to watch a TV show <laughs> called The Chosen. And I get, I, I, just being in my flesh, just being real, I get sick and tired of hearing, watch The Chosen, watch The Chosen, watch The Chosen. So I figure, you know how I'm going to shut them up? I'm going to watch The Chosen. I love y'all. But something spoke, spoke to me when I because I don't like watching religious shows because usually they're just really bad. Just oh, it, there's still parts of it that are not great. <laughs> but but I was watching, and there's something interesting. And I'm not saying that this is scriptural, just or biblical. Just hear me out on this. The way they portray Matthew 
is um, with someone with a, it, no, it's, it's a form of Asperger's, Asperger's. Because, you know, Matthew was a tax collector, so he was very particular in how he counted. And a, lo a lot of the stuff with Asperger's uh, syndrome. And what was funny is after I watched it, I was listening to one of my favorite preachers. And he started talking about Asperger's syndrome. Not mentioning the chosen. But, he, but what they were talking about is, you know, the world, people, when you've got someone with an autistic condition or that syndrome, we think something's wrong with them. So we think they're limited in what they can do. Instead of embracing the fact that they see through a lens that we can't. And there, it's, why do we label their condition a problem? Because we compare their norm to our norm, which is actually totally messed up. And, but we do it when people walk in the door. If they look different or smell different, dress different, a little weird, we automatically label them. You need to transform your mind. How, what, what is in them that God is in love with? Who are they? And you get obsessed about bringing them into the body. Not obsessed with pointing out their limits. You know how you get to that place? You make a choice. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Choosing this is easier when you're going through the process of transformation because you're renewing your mind. Bless those who persecute you. Verse 15. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. That's scripture. You, you see, when you read it as a conversation, it becomes a lot clearer, doesn't it? You make a choice to consider their feelings instead of waiting on them to be considerate of yours. When we do this, we become one body even more because we take on the same mind as each other. It's like this. How does a body get in unity? If I see you cry, I don't say snap out of it. I meet you at your weeping and weep with you in order for us to move forward together. Instead of, why are you crying? Get happy. God loves you. They're going through something. Shut up. Because what does the scripture say? Don't think you know it all. If someone is bound up, don't think you know the answer because of your knowledge of what you've been through and your ministry experience. If you see someone bound up, you know what one mind is? Go to the bound up place and walk with them to rescue them to flip out of what, and that might take a lot of earning friendship. Are you willing to walk through the whole process? Or are you obsessed with the results? 
Philippians 2, 1 through 2, it says it like this. If there, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. It's putting me aside to come into agreement with where you're at so that we can move forward together. So many times I'll meet with people and they'll say, I don't want to take up your time. And, and my response is, you're not taking up my time. We're coming to agreement with, <laughs> it's not a burden. You know why people don't want to open up to people? We think we're burdening them. If you're burdening them, they have not transformed their mind. Living in harmony of one mind, one purpose. Don't exalt yourself above anyone thinking they aren't worthy of you. They may be ordinary, but so are you. But you know what the kingdom of God says? There's a new ordinary. You're all kings of the earth. Amen. So live in harmony with kings. How? Make a choice to be transformed. I don't regard you as less than me because your ordinary is supernatural. It may look less, but it's just as needed. Just because you're not called to a pulpit, don't disregard what you do in an eight-to-five job. I, I, I really believe that eight-to-five, if you're going to get in an important scale, is, it's not that it's more significant, but it's more significant. I don't know how to put that in any words other than illustrate it for you. God says, I've given you apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to equip the eight-to-fives. But you've made the eight to fives think they're worthy when they come and listen to the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, or the pastor. No, no. Our job is to equip you where we'll never be able to go. We're not better. We're the foundation for you to be glorified in your gifting because you're glorifying God in what you're called to do. But what has church done? We make the goal this. That's the, that's, the, that's the problem. We. What's in you that I'm not seeing? What's in you that you don't believe? So the body function together, how do we get people to that? You're weak. Let me meet you at your weakness to pull you out of it. Not make you feel bad about the fact that you're weak in it. If you're weeping, let me weep with you. If you're struggling, let me walk with you in the struggle instead of trying to make you feel bad about your struggle. Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Everyone. Not just Christians. Live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Lead that to the righteous anger of God. The scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. You can tell who you trust by whose hands you're putting your life in. And some of you put your life more into your hands than God's hands. What's the evidence of it? You took revenge. 
God says, the choice I want you to make is live at peace with everyone, not just those you like, everyone. Don't take revenge. If you trust me, trust my promise, I will avenge you. I just can't get eye for an eye because you don't really trust him. He says, you know what eye for an eye is? Is the, 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 the judge takes care of the eye that needs to be taken. I'll avenge you. Oh, they took your eye? I'll take care of the eye that needs to be taken. You humble yourselves and live peacefully with them. Make a choice to do things different. Because you are embracing transformation and renewal. Last two verses. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed your enemies. I, I want to feed enemies. If you're thirsty, give your enemies something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you. Conquer evil by doing good. How does getting hot coals on their head conquer evil? You conquer evil by doing good so they're overcome with a conviction that burns until they embrace what they're convicted of. So when you do good to those who don't deserve it, you're conquering the evil existing in them because it will burn so much until they make a change by submitting to the one who wants to change him. You want to conquer evil? Do good to where they are convicted to death about it. What do you mean convicted to death? Dying to themselves. Just like we're called to die to ourselves. See, the goal is that everyone becomes like him. The goal is that everyone come to know him. The goal is that his body be unified as one. How? Make a choice. Embrace the process of transformation by relationship. Present yourselves as ready as whatever he asks. It won't always make sense, but be ready. And it all starts with, I'm going to change the way I think. Amen. So that when God asks you something, your response is not, I don't get it. Explain more. Am I hearing the voice? Your response is simply, yes, Lord. Make a choice. And we'll serve him well together. Amen.